Want to see the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it? Good morning. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. That's talkwithfrancesca.com. You're listening to AM 1510, WMEX Boston, and the legends, WNBP in Newburyport. Jump on your computers if you want to weigh in on this morning's conversation. All you have to do is send me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. All right, then. Who's holding you hostage? You've got a business colleague who's hostile, a client who's furious, a staffer who's deeply cynical. How do you get people to do what you want in tough situations like these? Well, veteran psychiatrist Mark Goulston is a business advisor, consultant, speaker, and coach trained as a clinical psychiatrist who honed his skills as an FBI police hostage negotiation trainer who increases people's ability to get through to anyone. He's also the author of the international best-selling book, Just Listen, Discover the Secret to Getting Through to Absolutely Anyone. He's here with us this morning and is going to reveal the secret to how to get through to anyone, even when productive communications seem impossible. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us this morning on Talk with Francesca. Well, I'm pleased to join you. I can hardly wait to find out what we discussed. (laughs) All right. Well, how did you get started in this? Did you have someone or an extremely difficult situation that you had to deal with? Uh, well, yes. I started out Life. As a clini- <laughs> yes. I started out as a clinical psychiatrist, and I specialized in uh, suicide, intervening with suicidal people and uh, potentially violent people. Uh, and I had a mentor who used to refer me these people who were still suicidal but needed to be discharged from the hospital. So they weren't acutely suicidal, but it was part of their personality. And uh, and I got to be innovative because you know, the hospital had kind of stabilized them, but I wanted to get them back to hope if I could. Yeah. And there was one particular patient that, uh, to make a long story short, I'd been up for about 48 hours moonlighting at a hospital over a weekend to cover the doctors. And when I saw her on a Monday, I was sleep-deprived, and suddenly what happened is I went into her world I mean, uh, the room became dark, the colors went away, and I'm an MD, and I thought I was having a stroke or a seizure, Hmm. and I did a neurologic exam on myself, which wasn't rude because she never made eye contact, and Mm -hmm. and I realized, geez, I'm all here, and I don't know what happened. I think I'm seeing the world through her eyes and feeling it, and because I was sleep-deprived, I said something to her that normally I would keep to myself, and I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad. And I can't help you kill yourself. Oh. She'd made three attempts and been in the hospital several times before I started seeing her. And then I said, but if you do, I will still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to do it, because there was no way out of your pain. Oh, so sad. Yeah. And, and what at happened? that point, she made eye contact, first time in six months, and I thought she was going to say, thank you for letting me do it. You know, I'm overdue for my next one, I thought she was going to say. And instead, I asked her, what are you thinking? And she said, if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself, maybe I won't need to. Then oh. she smiled, and she gave up her suicidality. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's all I can say. That's incredible. 
Well, you know, I think we all have the potential to listen into people, and there's a difference between listening to people and listening into people. So if I'm, I'll demonstrate it here. It's better to show than tell. So if I'm listening to you, you're asking me uh, particular questions, and one was, where did I learn what I learned? And I gave you a story of that, and I answered that. But if I'm listening into you, what I'm hearing is that this show is kind of a calling for you. It's not just a gig. It's not just a job. And it's really important to you for you to bring value to your listeners. Absolutely. And you're always on the lookout for someone that can bring that value. And, and hopefully hopefully we're in a good direction where you're saying, yes, he's bringing value. Mm-hmm. And you're probably also looking for the ones who you say to yourself, what the heck am I doing with them? You know, how, you know, how, and you want to get off the line with them. And so I That's think... it's happened once or twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, I've actually been very lucky <laughs> in the past several years. It's a, but, but on occasion, you're right. Yeah, but it is a calling, isn't it? It's not I just, think so. I'd like to think so. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so when you listen in to people, and so you can not just listen into their darkness, which is where I started learning how to do it, you can listen into their hopes and dreams. People just open up to you. Well, that's empathy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, you say that the, the secret to getting through to absolutely anyone is that you you get through to people by having them buy in. So that sounds a little salesy compared to being empathetic. Well, look, it's published by the American Management Association. I mean, you, you know, it's kind of a, it's like a Prius. It's a hybrid. Let's face it. It's a business book. But it, it, it was a crossover for them. It's been their top book for five years. And the buy-in means how do you get someone to go from, let's say, refusing to listen to listening and then considering what you're saying? So buy-in, how do you take them from refusing to listening to listening to considering? And when I do trainings... What I say to people is just like the what the hip bone is connected to the shin bone, your body posture is connected to your mind. And so if you can imagine someone being resistant to what you have to say, you might imagine that they've crossed their arms in their mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get people to uncross their arms when they're speaking to you, mm-hmm. they'll open their mind. And one of the ways to do that, and this is how you get through to people, and when I give these trainings, people f- seem to be really uh, smitten with what I'm about to tell you. I say focus on people's adverbs and adjectives, because an adverb is a way of their embellishing a verb, and an adjective is a way of their embellishing a noun, and they both have emotional juice on them. Give us an example. So if, you, uh, if someone were to say, this is an amazing opportunity, uh, or... This is a horrendous situation we find ourselves in. And they may, you know, often when people expose themselves, they will then say, well, what do you think? What do you think I should do? Because they try to catch themselves having just exposing themselves. And if you say to them, uh, before I answer that question, say more about the amazing opportunity. Or say more about the horrendous situation. And you lean into amazing and horrendous what you will notice is people will start to use their hands to express what they're saying because the words don't say enough. And in the book, Just Listen, I talk about several conversation deepeners. So say more about that is one. Another one is when they finish saying whatever they're saying, you go, really? 
and it's an inviting way, and then what they'll go is even deeper. They'll say, oh, yeah, this is amazing, or, oh, my, if we don't do this, we're, you know, we're going to be in real trouble. And so the key is um, to focus on people opening up more and more, sure. because then you will differentiate yourself from the competition who often get stuck in sort of a transactional superficiality. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... If, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're really saying is get people to talk about the people always love to talk about themselves much more. They want to be, you know, you want to be interested more than interesting, I always say. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Because let's face it, if if we all like to talk about ourselves, it's just it's 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 human. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you say listen into people's eyes. What, what do you what do you mean by that? Do you mean as in like look into them and really I mean, what is different about looking and listening into people's eyes? Well, I as think, opposed to just looking into someone's eyes, that's what I'm saying. Well, I think it's uh, well, it, actually, it actually came from a uh, uh, where I learned to look and listen into people's eyes. Uh, another if we have time for a little quick story, yes. uh, I was. Uh, I was consulting at uh, the UCLA hospital, and I was called in to see this cancer patient that I told was just, he was just about tearing up the room, and he was throwing any psychological types out. And I thought, oh boy, he's going to eat me alive. And in fact, I went down to the uh, stationery store near UCLA, and I got a name tag that said oncology service instead of psychiatry service. It made me feel like a real man, you know, changing tags like that. So I go into the room, and I say, well, I'm here with the uh, team, and I'm here to sort of uh, understand what's going on. And when I tell the story, I guess I embellish it, but it it looked like he smelled a rat, like, oh, here's another one of those shrink types. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I locked onto his eyes because I had the feeling that if I looked away, you know, that would show fear, anxiety, which I was feeling. And I didn't let go of his eyes, and he didn't let go of mine. And, and there was one point where I didn't know what to say, and then I just said to him, how bad does it get in there? Meaning in his head. He said, what? I said, how bad does it get in there? So I'm holding onto his eyes, which on the outside seemed angry. And then he looked at me, and he said, you don't want to know. And I thought to myself, I'm quick on my feet as a hostage negotiation trainer. I said, what am I going to say now? And, and then I said, you know, you're probably right. I probably don't want to know. But unless someone other than you knows and knows soon, you're going to go crazy. Ooh. And then he looked at me, and there was a standoff, and they broke into a smile, and he said, I'm already there. Pull up a chair. So the whole idea is I think if you look into people's eyes, there's usually... I would say almost always there is something going on underneath what they're saying. And if your purpose can be when you do it, your purpose actually has to be to not hurt them or take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And by the way, one of the reasons we people, especially a lot of pure salespeople, don't look into people's eyes in that way, in a, in a deep, authentic way, is because you don't want people to see that you're being inauthentic and you're just trying to maneuver them. Right. Uh, for the sale. Absolutely. Uh, if you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Talk with Francesca, and I'm speaking with Mark Goulston, and he has written a book, Just Listen. Um, Mark, so you were an FBI police hostage negotiation trainer. Right. Tell us, our listening audience, a little bit more about that. Well, I got involved with it because uh, uh, I, I was doing a program for 
middle school parents, mm-hmm. and it was how to keep your children safe. And there was someone from the FBI there, and you know I can be a little melodramatic since I live in Los Angeles. So my segment of the program was called "It's My Party and I'll Die if I Want to." <laughs> and so I role played their teenage child to these kind of you know anxious, uptight parents. And I said, your role is you have to talk me out of the fact that I'm going to a party this weekend, and there will probably be drugs, there will probably be gangs, there will probably be all kinds of things, and I'm not going to let you call the other parents to make sure it's safe. So what happened is I took on the whole audience, and uh, and then uh, finally they kind of cried, Uncle, and I said, this is what you needed to say to me if I'm your teenager. And so this FBI person who was there said, this is fascinating. And I'd also been giving talks like that at UCLA uh, uh, to teach suicide training. In fact, if you go to YouTube, put in my last name, Goulston, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, and look up I'm Going to Kill Myself, you'll see a role play that I played for 13 years to undergraduates at UCLA where I role played a suicidal uh, teenager and you had to talk me out of it. So what happened is I started trainings with the FBI and police where I played, and there's even a video of this, where I played a police officer who had shot an unarmed kid, and I had been on a medical leave for a year. And so I'm in front of them with a police uniform on and broken glasses, I hadn't shaved, and I pull a gun out, and I say, uh, I've been on medical leave for a year. Uh, and unless you talk me out of it, I'm going on permanent leave, and then you live with the ghost of someone that you couldn't save, and this time it's one of your own. And so that role play, what happened is, I, I for some reason or other, I'm able to get into the persona of people, just mm-hmm. like I got into that woman's suicidality. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and I always pull the trigger, and then that sort of alerts them, and I say, this is what you didn't say, that if you had said would have caused me to turn my gun over. And so that I started doing trainings like that, and I would occasionally then go to, uh, to some of the departments and do uh, smaller groups and, uh, you know, do occasional ride-alongs. But I, uh, I, I worked with them. I, you, know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't part of the FBI or police. I was a trainer that they brought in mm-hmm, because, uh, you know, apparently that interaction really uh, was fairly riveting. Have, has, has there ever been a time that you tried to talk someone out of suicide and wasn't able to? No. Beautiful. No, That's what I wanted to hear, because I was afraid if you said yes, I was afraid what my next question would be so good. Well, I pause because I think I've been lucky more than skilled. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, That's my being wife, very modest, I, I think. No, my wife used to tell people that for the first 10 years when I was out there in my practice, I never got through a movie without being paged. Uh, Because, you know, a quarter of my people, uh, my patients, were suicidal, and you're only supposed to have two or three. But my first mentor started the suicide prevention centers in Washington and L.A. He was actually the pioneer in the study of suicide, and he'd be the one who would go up to the inpatient wards, and he would refer me these people that the residents didn't want to see when they were discharged because, uh, you know, they were still suicidal. Uh, Mark, let's um, shift gears just a hair here, and let's find out what works and wasn't 
and what doesn't. So dealing with different types of people, um, for example, like let's say that you have a very self-important person. Um, you know, they have their say, you know, and, um, but, you know, they're very difficult to deal with. Let, let's talk about the different types of uh, difficult souls and how you handle them, or, or is it all the same? Um, well, there are certain principles, you know, that you have to apply. The, the first thing is you need to stay centered and not take what anyone is saying personally, because one of the things, I'm a neuroscientist, and one of the things that I talk about early in the book is there's something called an amygdala hijack. And what the, and what that means is that when someone agitates you, a part of your brain, in the emotional part of your brain, it takes you away from being able to assess the situation on its merits. And that part of the middle emotional brain is called the amygdala, and it hijacks you away from uh, assessing the situation uh, as you should. And so, <clears throat> in fact, one of the things that I tell people is, I, I say, if you want to make your life easier and if you want to stay on a diet and exercise routine take out a sheet of paper put a line down the middle of the paper and on the left side list all the people that inspire you give you energy when you see them you say to yourself i gotta see them again sooner and on the right side put down all the people that are awful all the high maintenance difficult to please easy to upset people uh, and the reason you do that is because Research shows that a number of people go off a diet or exercise when they've had a close encounter of the worst kind with people on the right side. And what that means is know who those people are ahead of time uh -huh. and never expect them not to try to manipulate you or maneuver you when they want to get out of something or they want to push you to do something um, uh, that they're gonna, where they're not going to take no for an answer. So just identifying those people. Mm -hmm. And recognizing them early, you're in the conversation, but you hold a little bit of yourself back. And then when they say that thing or do that thing that they always do, you can smile inside like the cat who swallowed the canary and say, oh, here they are again. And in the book, there's a number of things that uh, uh, people love uh, to say to such people. So, so you have actual examples of what to say. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so I not, love so, that. I love those those types of books, especially the ones that really tell you exactly, like say this or say that. Like, in, and you were saying, you know, a little bit earlier, you lean into someone and say, "Really?" or you know, "Tell me more." You know, sometimes those kinds of specific um, things to say can really be very, very helpful. So, what might you say to someone who who considers themselves really self-important and, um, you know, it's always all about them, and how could you kind of bring them into reality, or, or are they just so narcissistic that there's nothing you can do? Well, if you're in the business world, we're all judged by results. I even think the word, I even think the word performance is too soft. Mm. I think we're judged by results. Yep. And, and so one of the uh, suggestions I have in Just Listen is what I call the Columbo Maneuver. Mm. And so picture this person who's very self-important, and this is what I'd suggest you do. You let them go on and on. You break eye contact, and then you sort of hit yourself slightly in the forehead, like Columbo would say, and say, it's a shame. And they're going to say, what? <clears throat> and you say, no, keep on talking. It's okay. And then they keep talking or boasting, and you go, oh, that's a real shame. And they're going to say, what's a shame? <laughs> say, well... 
you, you know, you're really talented about certain things, and you have no idea how much results you're leaving on the table. You have no idea what kind of results you're capable of getting if you didn't do some things that distract other people from wanting to help you. And I'm saying it's a shame because after I finish what I'm about to say, I think you have no interest in changing, and I think it's a shame. Very interesting. <laughs> Could you see that in your mind's eye? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, another thing, dealing with the difficult people, the bully, that kind of thing, again. Well, I was the... going to ask you about a bully, so oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're on the right side of that cheat, you know, that we talked yeah, about. Of course. So, so, again, when they say whatever they're saying, um, uh, again, learn how to make eye contact and realize that inside bullies, and if you look at it and you and they see that you see it, you you uh, you'll have them. Underneath all bullies, inside is the fear. Oh, of and, course. And what the fear is that you're going to catch them and rub their face in the fact that you know they don't care about anyone but themselves. And <clears throat> and so they uh, uh, and that way down deep, if you know that you only care about yourself, there's a part of you that feels well. If someone catches me in that, they're going to know that you know, I'm just this bad person. So if you keep looking for that intent as opposed to being provoked, and what I say is look into the eye, and I say look into their left eye because that's connected to their right brain. So imagine you're looking into the eye of a hurricane, and whatever they're saying, let it go over your shoulders. And then if they say something totally appalling and totally preposterous, and one of the things that bullies and whiners uh, why they get the best of us is they push us through our frustration into our rage. Mm-hmm. And when they outrage us, we go off balance. And then when we're off balance, they attack. But since you know they're going to do that, wait till they do it. <clears throat> they're expecting you to go off balance, but you won't. And then I'd say pause for one or two seconds because they're looking for you to flinch. They're looking for you to be off balance, and you're not. And a few things you can say, and one of my favorites and you're looking them directly in the eye, and they think they've bullied you and intimidated you. One of my favorite things to say is, my mind wandered the last five minutes. Can you repeat everything you said? And I go, what? Yeah, my mind wandered. Uh, can you repeat everything you said? I actually talk in the book, we don't have time today, about everything I learned about, or 90% of what I learned about difficult people, I learned on September 6, 1995, because I was sequestered in the criminal courts building, because I worked with the prosecution on the O.J. Simpson trial, and F. Lee Bailey had accused me of brainwashing and coaching Detective Mark Furman. So on the day that Detective Mark Furman took the Fifth Amendment, I didn't know he was taking it, and I was upstairs, and I had to meet with F. Lee Bailey. And on that day, I learned most of what I know about difficult people, which is they push you, they frustrate you, then they anger you, and then they try to outrage you. And that's exactly what he did. And I knew he was going to do it. And I just held on to his eyes the whole time. And when he went in, uh, when he went in for the jugular, uh, so he had said earlier in the trial uh, about Detective Mark Furman, you were, so you're saying you never said the N-word. And so what he said to me in this, uh, in this interview, he said, so you're saying that you never coached, you never medicated, you never did whatever with Detective Mark Furman. And I am just looking at him, you know, just flat. Mm-hmm. And the other people in the room were waiting for my answer. And as soon as he finishes, I p- 
paused for seven seconds because I thought, oh, this is interesting. Everyone's looking at me, and I'm just looking them straight in the eye. And it was working so well, I waited another seven seconds. And then I looked at him, and I said, <clears throat> Mr. Bailey, uh, uh, my mind wandered the last five minutes. Can you repeat everything you said? And he said, what? I said, yeah, my mind wandered. I mean, I'm here. It's like 7.30 at night, and I don't even know if I'm, the parking lot's open. I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out. Plus, they don't validate and he looked at me like, what? And, and he never regained his focus. Wow. Uh, Mark, you know what? Uh, since strangling isn't an option, when, uh, we're going to just take a, a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to take some questions on how to deal with the most obnoxious people. Okay? So just stay with us here. Absolutely. Okay? All right. Great. You can talk to me. Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's Restaurant Guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. Want a first-class shopping trip around the world without the jet lag? Discover Trendy Treat and shop like a socialite. Made to measure clothes and pieces from the world's rising design stars from Africa to Asia, many of whom are loved by celebrities like Bono, Empire's Annika, and Paris Hilton. Lustworthy bags, dazzling gems, and simply stunning clothes. This spring, elevate your style and become globally glamorous with Trendy Treat, your new fashion obsession. Visit TrendyTreat.com and wait for your friends to say, where you been shopping? I know they will. Soon winter will be long gone and bikini season will be here. How would you like to lose up to 40 pounds plus in 40 days? At Nutramost in Woburn, we use computerized technology to test and find your perfect fat burning zone. The customized natural formulas will shut off fat storage and turn on extreme fat burning, getting you to burn between two and 4,000 calories per day. So if you want to get super healthy, balance your hormones, and normalize blood sugar levels to help lose that unwanted fat and look great this summer, you will want to go right to NewEnglandWeightLoss.com or call 781-938-9400. Don't wait to experience the new you. Caitlin Rose has a fascination for finding ways to capture specific moments in life. She feels still photography does something that no other medium can. Capturing a single moment that tells a story and allowing us to have the full recollection of every moment that came before and after, Caitlin's style allows for a totally natural experience. Every day, Caitlin Rose is invited to share in the significant moments in people's lives and trust it to preserve the memory. So call Caitlin Rose Photography today at 339-203-5030 or visit online at katerosephoto.com. That's C-A-T-E, rosephoto.com. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. 36733 or visit us at antico When you want to hire a local professional locksmith and don't know where to turn, the key to finding one in Massachusetts is through the Massachusetts Locksmiths Association, an organization that has over 100 professionals throughout the Commonwealth and has been holding those professional locksmiths to high standards and ethics since 1957. 
Locate us on the web at masslocksmiths.org to find the professional locksmith closest to you. Hey, this is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca every Saturday morning right here on 1510 Boston. All right, welcome back to the program. You're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Mark Goulston, and um, he has written this fabulous book, Just Listen, Discover the Secret to Getting Through to Absolutely Anyone, and he clearly knows how to do it. So um, welcome, Mark. Thanks for being with us here this morning. Oh, I'm glad to be with you. Thank you. So um, let's see here. I've got a, a question here. Um, from Christina from Linfield, and she says, my mother-in-law is driving me mad. She comes to my house and starts rearranging my home. Seriously, even to the point of moving furniture. My husband says she's trying to bond. If that is what she's trying to do, it's not working. I've tried everything from joking to getting her out of the house. I haven't confronted her directly, but I've confronted my husband, and he doesn't see the problem. What could you advise, uh, Christina? Well, it's a double confrontation because yeah. Um, so, so it's first like the of all, the mother-in-law and the the son. Ugh, oh, okay, I so, hate those. <laughs> so, well, so first of all, um, uh, the son obviously is afraid to confront his mother, and she's probably having some feelings towards the mother. That's the same as the son, but he's worked around it and avoided it. You, you mean he's got issues with his own mother, but he's right, not, yeah. yeah. I'd take that bet in a heartbeat. Yeah, but. Uh, but this is what you say. Something that I talk about is called the wince confrontation. And the wince confrontation means that when you're about to confront someone, you need to show that it pains you to have to do it, as opposed to you're coming from frustration. And so what she might say to her, her mother-in-law is to say, I need your help with something. And you have to say it sincerely. And by the way, she does <laughs> need her help. Because I need your help. She with does. And, and again, pause. And say to the mother-in-law, um, you're my husband's mom. You're his only mom. You're very important to him. And, and, and you're my mother-in-law. You know, you're my only mother-in-law. And I need your help because I find myself not looking forward to your coming over. Yikes. And I need your help because I know you want what's best for us. And, uh, and I'm having less and less control over that. And I don't want it to cross over into avoiding you. And I think what causes me to do that is when, and then you, ha, and then you can't attack their character. It has to be specific, be, observable behaviors. So you can, and then you can say, I think what causes it in me is that when you come over, I know you're meaning to be helpful, but you come in and you start sort of rearranging things in, in such a way, and uh, and uh, maybe maybe it's hitting a nerve with me. But it, it, it feels kind of like I'm being invaded, and I'm, and I'm trying to build this home, you know, be a nester and a homemaker, you know, for your son and our family. And, and I need your help because the last thing I want to do is uh, avoid you. Well, Christina, I hope you, you um, appreciate that answer. I certainly do, Mark. But as I'm hearing you with that beautiful, beautiful answer, I don't know, and I don't know Christina, so I can't say for sure, but I don't know that that would be such an easy conversation to have. And, oh, it's well, a very well, difficult Well, actually, one. I take that back. It would be a very difficult conversation very to have. Difficult. But, but 
you know, I also think that there's going to be a certain level of confidence um, in order to have that conversation. Hopefully, Christina has that. But um, that is certainly not... I don't know that that's just a pat answer and you can and say, I, I mean, I, I would certainly try it for sure, but I'm not so sure that that um, well, there are people out there that would really be willing to do to say that. Okay, so then I, I didn't know whether we would take on the mother first or the husband first, because okay, let's the, take on the husband. It, it may be the husband <laughs> is, is the more important confrontation. Yeah. Uh, and, and what you say to the, uh, uh, what you need to say to the husband is... Uh, you know, whether you like it or not, you're kind of in middle management between your mom and me. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm trying to see if I'm being oversensitive about this, but it's really up to you to find a way to stand up to your mom for, you know, what, what works for us and what works for me. Now, I think what would be good for Christina is to maybe check with uh, maybe her own family, if she has uh, sisters or brothers or a friend, and say, do you think I, I'm being oversensitive? Mm-hmm. So obviously the husband's going to be biased. But if she checks with other people and say, do you think I'm oversensitive to people coming in and trying to uh, uh, control my life when really they're just trying to be helpful? So I think a first step is for Christina to check to see whether she's being oversensitive. And if she's not being oversensitive, then she has a way to speak to her husband. And in fact, she could even say to him, you know, I've checked with some friends whether they think I'm oversensitive mm-hmm. and thin-skinned about these things. And people who I think were objective with me told me that I'm not. Well, I, do we really, you know, do we really need to check with people? I mean, she's saying that her mother-in-law comes over and rearranges her furniture, and that's pretty intense. I mean, I, I don't know why we would need to check to find out. And, and, and but But anyway, even if she is being sensitive let's just let's just say for argument's sake that she is being sensitive if if she, isn't she entitled to have people in her home um that aren't going to be moving things around oh, no, just, no. and I, i'm just saying i first of all i don't think she's being too sensitive but but if she if, if somebody thought she were she still has the right in her own home in her absolutely home, but, right? but what's happening is she's being reactive and part of what we her right. amygdala is hijacking her right. meaning you just say the word mother-in-law, and uh, I'm sure she starts to get palpitations. And so, <laughs> I do so she myself. Needs to, she needs to find a way. What? I said I do myself. That's why. That's probably why. Yeah, so, no, I'm responding. Okay. So I'm thinking, what, what, you're okay. a mind so you're Christina. There you go. Well, you, you revealed it to your listeners. You're a Christina. So. Uh, no, I'm not Christina. I'm probably not. No, I divorced him. No. But oh. anyway. But I figured you probably could read my mind. But anyway. <laughs> But anyway, okay, all right, great, great. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I also talk about, you know, because I'm a big believer in empathy. Yeah. Because uh, there's a saying that you can't walk in someone else's shoes and step on their toes at the same time. And that's how empathy works. And so if I were to say to Christina, uh, put yourself, even if you don't want to, put yourself in your mother-in-law's shoes What's going on in her life? Is she feeling sort of disregarded? Is she, does she have little or no identity? And I'm not justifying uh, that she should continue do the, doing this, but when you think of your mother-in-law, does she have little or no identity outside of you know, her son or her children's lives? 
is she, is she someone who didn't develop these other things? Uh, were you, did your husband and his siblings kind of fail to be able to sort of become independent without right. it seeming to hurt her feelings? Right. And and why might she be so uh, needing to be so involved right. in your son? And, and again, I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but, uh, but if you can begin to... Uh, so if Christina was filled in the blank saying... Well, I didn't tell you she's a widow, or I didn't tell you such right. and such, or right. I didn't tell you that one of their children died. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, wow. And so the more that you could get Christina to be empathic, doesn't mean she should roll over, but the less reactive or angry mm-hmm. that she'll be, and then she'll, the, more, the better able she'll be able to handle the conversation. It sounds like you know a lot of, of your answers have to do with validating um people and not sort of resisting where they're coming from and, and, you know, being more proactive, as you said, rather than reactive, really sort of separating um, the person from what's really going on. Um, Give us some fast fixes for some super challenging situations, Mark, if you will. Um, Well, here's one. In in fact, um, I've started a campaign a modest campaign called Heal the World One Conversation at a Time. And if you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, mm-hmm. you'll see this campaign. And what we have there are what we call conversation catalysts. So there'll be like a little 30 or 40 second video. And then you give this to the other person and say, is this what you're trying to tell me? So the videos are what I want you to know. So we have one out there, what your, uh, what your girlfriend wants you to know, what your teenager wants you to know. And so uh, uh, in the one uh, that's fresh is what your uh, teenager wants you to know. And, and, wh- uh, and what a lot of teenagers want their parents to know is, I don't want your advice and solutions unless I ask for them. When you give me advice and solutions, it makes you feel better, but it makes me feel worse. Mm-hmm. What I really need is I need you to understand kind of what I'm feeling, and I don't understand it. And and whenever you give me a solution, it just it makes me feel worse. And uh, so, uh, so in a challenging situation, uh, there's there's one th- there's also a tack that I have, which you're going to arch your back on, but I'm going to calm you down, Francesca. <laughs> it's called the uh, uh, it's called the olive branch on steroids. And there's a blog that uh, I blog for Harvard <laughs> Business. So if you look up Olive Branch on steroids, HBR, Goulston, you'll find it. And it's a five-step unsolicited apology. Now, the reason for that, see, I told you I get you. Oh, uh, so you a Sicilian me. girl here. <laughs> okay, no, no, you know, I'll, do it with, I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. So here's how it would go. So the first thing is if there's a rift between you and someone else, yeah. Uh, you contact them, you email them, and say, um, uh, when would be a time when I could get five minutes with you uh, because I, there's something I need to apologize to you for? Now, most people are intrigued by an unsolicited apology. What? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's not a big thing, but I got clear, and, and there's something I want to apologize to you for. When could we grab a few minutes because I don't want to just do it on the run here? So you're building up suspense in them. And... Um, and if I were to do it, I would say it to you, and you'd say, well, Mark, we could do it on the air. This is good radio. No, but, uh, uh, and then when we get together, I'd say, 
would you agree that we see uh, situations differently? Like we saw a situation with Christiana differently. Would you agree that we look at things differently? And you'd say yes. So that's the second step. Third step is, I'd say, uh, Francesca, I want to apologize because I don't think I made the effort to understand how and why you come to see it the way you just did. How and why you came to see it. You hinted at it. Well, that's why I got divorced. But, uh, but I didn't make the effort to do that. And I wanted to apologize for that. That's the third step. The fourth step, the step, uh, the olive branch on steroids, is to say, and something I wanted to apologize to you for even more, which I'm a little embarrassed about, is I didn't even want to know your point of view. I didn't even want to know the story behind, you know, why you got your hackles up about that. And uh, because I just wanted to push my points across. I just wanted to be the expert. And, you know, especially for a guy who wrote a book on listening, that's, that's crummy. You're and, fabulous. You and, really are. You're really interesting. To say, if you gave me the chance to fix this, I'd really like to understand, because I'm sure you have great reasons for why you shouldn't let people run over you. You shouldn't let people who don't care about you try to control you. I'm sure you have lots of reasons, and if you'll give me another chance, I'd love to understand that. Well, you know, I was going to ask you about the power apology, but I think you just told us what one was. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that right? Yes. So good. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Mark Goulston, author of Just Listen, Discover the Secret to Getting Through to Absolutely Anyone, and he clearly does. Um, so what, well, first of all, I want to, well, I want to know about the power, thank you, but I want to ask you something quickly. Have you ever seen the YouTube validation? Um, no, you got to You just got to type in validation in YouTube. It is just, it's very funny, but it really, really hits home. And, um, it, I mean, it really is a lot of, you know, what we're talking about. Certainly, I mean, you clearly have some in- incredible um, tools that you're sharing with my listening audience, and we're, we're very lucky to have you today. But we really are talking on many fronts about validating someone, are we not? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I mentioned I'm a neuroscientist, and there's a term that I invented for the book. Um, there's something in our brains called mirror neurons. And mm-hmm. if you look up mirror neurons, they're fascinating. And they were originally uh, discovered in monkeys, and they were called monkey see, monkey do neurons. Uh, and they're thought to be behind uh, imitation, learning, and empathy. And when they're defective, they're thought to be a big contributing factor to autism. So a mirror neuron is when you mirror the outside world and what it needs and wants, and when you mirror it correctly, you know, you put a smile on their face. When you don't mirror it or you do the opposite, uh, you upset them. So I came up with a term called the mirror neuron gap, and what that means is that uh, when we're caring about the outside world or we're conforming emotionally and psychologically to other people's needs, there's a desire in us for the world to care about us. It's not, it's not keeping score. It's that, you know, we've twisted ourselves inside out to accommodate other people, and there's a hunger, there's an ache for the world to do that about us, towards us. That's why when someone gives us an unsolicited compliment mm-hmm. or says, are you okay, we often tear up. And when I give presentations on listening, I say the secret between tear, uh, behind tear-jerker movies is all through the movie, there has been a gap 
between two characters, and at the moment they resolve it, we're vicariously experiencing that gap between the characters, and when they correct it, uh, we cry because at that moment the gap goes away and we feel relief. So at the end of Silver Linings Playbook, um, uh, the uh, Bradley Cooper and, uh, I forget her name, um, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, mm-hmm. they play quirky, eccentric, mentally ill people, and they're always missing with everyone in the world, including each other. And then at the end, there's the scene in which uh, they run out of a dance, and she thinks that uh, he doesn't care about her, and he actually loves her. And at the end, you know, when they hug, you know, there's not a dry eye in the audience. And so that's exactly what's happening. And, and in fact, by the way, when I, I did it with you because you're kind of feisty. And, uh, and, and, when, and by the time I, I didn't even let me get through the five steps of the uh, olive branch on steroids. And, and what happened is at step three or four, it's like I had you at, I didn't have you at hello, but I had you at step three or four. And you said, okay, okay, this is really good. Okay, let's go on to the next point. <laughs> I have a question from Angela from Marblehead, Mark. She said, I met my boyfriend about six weeks ago, and I feel that I'm always asking questions about him. I have the philosophy, be interested more than interesting. Oh, that's mine. (laughs) I have the philosophy, be interested more than interesting. I do that, too. I say Uh that to Angela. Uh Angela, we have something in common. But this is getting old, and I don't think he even knows I have a toddler. I really like him, but I'm afraid that I may possibly be dating a narcissistic guy. Any way to figure out before I get too hooked? Um, Six weeks and he doesn't you, know you have a kid. Okay, this is Dump a Francesca him. answer. Okay, it, it, ready for this one? Um, Dump him. He, yeah. he doesn't even know yeah, you have a exactly kid. That's exactly it. He doesn't, say, even hey, have a, he doesn't even know you got a kid. Come yeah, on, six yeah. weeks? If I'm Francesca, I'd say, uh, look, you know as well as I knew, uh, it's Angela from Marblehead. Yeah. You know that when you sent this to me, he's a narcissist. You, are, you already knew it. You just have it. And, and, and here's stop what, here's picking the, on me, Mark. What? I said, stop picking on me. No, but here's the empathic thing I'd say to Angela. I'd say, here, Angela. So see how this would change things. Angela, you already know he's a narcissist. But here's the problem, is that you were starting to bank on the future that's not going to happen anyway because he's a narcissist. And, and, and now that future is going to go away, and you have to go back to being single. And you don't like being single. And you have to go all through it again. And you may meet another narcissist, and you're probably saying, God, this is so hard. Why can't I just meet a decent person that I care about and they care about me, and it will be okay, Angela? You know, this, uh, I think you already know that the person's too self-involved. Uh, I mean, now you might bring it up to him and then see, because sometimes there are a lot of guys who, you know, flirt with Asperger's syndrome, so they're kind of single-minded, they're focused on their career, and, and, and they're not narcissistic. <clears throat> and, Angela, what you have to ask yourself is, is he insensitive or just not sensitive? Because you are very nervous, possibly. Oh, we're running out of time. I could just be on the phone with you forever over here, Mark. So I, I want to be. I have another question from 
Tara. Thank you, Angela, for that question. Oh, another question from Tara from Lemonster. But um, before we do, I, what I, we have to get you on my other show on Saturday night's Pillow Talk at 10, where we talk about relationships and romance, too. So so, um, so listeners, don't, don't fret. We'll have Mark back, hopefully, if he'll be kind enough to give us his time again. Um, Tara from Lemonster says, my husband's brother is bloodthirsty. Ooh, in the nicest kind of way. He seems really nice, but he's always jabbing me, and I'm so sick of it. I made a beautiful dinner for my husband's 40th birthday, and his brother asked where I ordered takeout. It might seem like nothing, but it is constant, and my husband thinks I'm overreactive, which only makes me more crazy. Got a lot of crazy husbands in these questions. <laughs> but anyway, okay. <laughs> Mark, what would you say to Tara from Lemonster? Um, again, I think one of, the <clears throat> one of the best ways to disarm another person without amputating it, which is what she wants to do, is to say, uh, to take them aside and say, I need your help with something. But that's for, but, and and it, do it genuinely, because most people are going to say, what? You like that, Mark, <clears throat> asking other people for help, I can tell. No, but you, you can't be, it can't be like a whiny, oh, I need your help. It's, it, it, mm-hmm. it's, an, it's, it's what I call assertive humility. I need your help with something. Mm-hmm. That's okay. different than whining about it. And, and say, I need your help with something. <clears throat> and then say, you know, what I've noticed is that when we have these kind of get-togethers, and you'll say certain things that sort of needle me, it really sends me off into sort of a different direction. I have to pull myself together. And, you know, and I'm guessing it's just kind of your manner and maybe, uh, here, let's make an agreement. I'll try and develop a thicker skin, but I'd like you to be aware that it presses my buttons so that, you know, going forward, you know, you're my, you're my husband's brother. You know, I, I, want us, I want us to live happily ever after, and I can't do it without you. Oh, I don't agree with you, Mark. I think that's just giving him more fuel to fight to to uh, for the fire. So, what would you say? I mean, you. Well, I, mean, I can't I mean, say it on the air. Oh. I mean, you can confront <laughs> the person. You can do all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> that, that, then what happens is we go back to the husbands who are the wusses, and and so so the brother the brother-in-law backs off and say, you know and says, "Oh my God, I'm glad I'm not married to her." And then he circles around to his brother and says, "Gee, you know what you're you know you." Boy, your, your wife is uptight and such and such. And there, there's the husband in the middle again where you have to say, where you say to the uh, husband, okay, make a choice or we're getting divorced. So, you know, we can take Francesca's approach. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to sound like I'm feisty and fearless and also abrasive. I'm feisty and fearless, but I, I like to think I'm not completely abrasive. But, but my style is probably a little, a little rougher. But maybe after today, maybe I'll take a few breaths in between. Uh, the next time I confront someone. And I would love to keep going, but unfortunately, Mark Goulston, we are out of time. Mark is the author of Just Listen. Discover the secret to getting through to absolutely anyone. Except Francesca. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. I've (laughs) I've completely and utterly really enjoyed our conversation this morning. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It really has been a pleasure. Well, you'll have me on Pillow Talk, and we're going to hold, I, I, I have the secret uh, uh, to the best conversation you'll ever have with your spouse. Uh, well, you know what? I absolutely mean it. I will be in touch with you um, later uh, to, uh, to set something up. So, again, thanks so much for being on Talk with Francesca today. 
Thank you, and, I, and, I, and I'm homesick for your accent. I lost it when I came to California. <laughs> well, okay. I like to think I don't have one, but I guess I do. All right. Thanks for listening. We have to wrap things up for now and say goodbye. If you want to know more about what's upcoming on Talk with Francesca, visit my website, talkwithfrancesca.com. And don't forget to listen tonight to my new show, Pillow Talk at 10, where we talk about relationships and romance. Thanks again for tuning in. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. Three six seven three three, or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Who doesn't go to the hair salon to liven up their look? But sometimes you look worse on the way out than you did walking in. You can expect something different at Anthony Capolino Salon. With a super modern feel that can hardly be mistaken for suburban, a full-service hair salon, they offer cuts, color, highlighting, formal design, extensions, relaxers, braiding, and waxing. Anthony has over 15 years working on Newberry Street in Boston. I can tell you from my own experience, I felt transformed and you will too. So if you're looking to turn a few heads,